0: Good morning, GBC. Uh, man, I wish I was, I was there with you today, um, but I'm glad we get this opportunity again and still just longing for that day we can be together once again. Uh, I just need to clear the air on a, on a couple things right away. Number one, yes, I, I did get a haircut, so thank you for asking. And uh, I am so thankful for my wife's bravery and skill in giving me a quarantine cut, so thank you, Elizabeth. And number two, uh, just to, to, to settle the disputes here, This background is very, very real. It is not CGI. We are here in our study, uh, down in the Ben Franklin building, and this wall was not CGI'd by somebody. It was built by your very own Jordan Bradley with his skilled hands. We're thankful for that. But everything you're seeing right now is very real, unless you see like a talking animal or something, that would be CGI. But other than that, this is all genuine, you guys. So uh, now that we've cleared the air, Uh, if you could grab one of your Bibles and turn them to Psalm 23, that's where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, We're beginning today a journey through various Psalms. Uh, The Psalms are the Hebrew songbook. They are prayers to pray and songs to sing. And what I love about the Psalms is that they are way more honest than we are most often. We see the gamut of emotion in the Psalms. We see the spectrum But when these emotions are being expressed in the Psalms, they find their footing in the truth of God, and it always results in hope. It always results in hope. I think many of us are feeling just a wide range of emotion, probably on a daily basis, as we are at this stay-at-home order now for for five weeks plus now. uh, You've likely experienced that that gamut. And maybe, you know, when everything first started, you felt a sense of, of fear amidst the uncertainty or than a sense of optimism and, and hope. Or maybe you've at times felt anger or frustration or anxiety or hopelessness, and then in other moments you felt a lot of peace. You've, you've felt the spectrum. And I think what's really important for us is to not merely fight for ourselves to have a certain emotion, but to bring our hearts before God, no matter where we're at, in praise and prayer, and ask him to place our feet upon his truth that's the goal and i can think of no better place to start our journey at this morning than psalm 23 the psalm is famous i mean you've probably seen seen it written and hanging on a wall somewhere in someone's house or you've seen it on a coffee mug or you even heard it in famous 90s hip-hop songs written by people like coolio or something like that the reason that this psalm is so iconic I think is because it deals with the most powerful concerns in our lives. It deals with our wants, it speaks to our fears, and it really speaks to the uncertainty that we often face in life. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard uh, once said, life can only be understood backwards but it must be lived forwards. I, I think each one of us deeply resonates with Kierkegaard's words. I mean how many of us want to know where the destination will be for us one year from now or six years from now or even a, a day from now and the hard part is is we have to keep moving forward we have to keep living life forward yet we have needs we have fears we have a lot of uncertainty that just shrouds us right now with that in mind though our greatest need is really being exposed we need someone to provide for us to protect us and to guide us to the places that we really need to be, and that's exactly what Psalm 23 gives us. The theme of this psalm is the declaration that God is a shepherd, but not just any shepherd. He is my shepherd. He's my shepherd, and so we see these three things in light of the fact that God is my shepherd. We see in verses 1 through 3 that I therefore shall not want. I shall not want, In verse 4, we see, I shall not fear. And in verses 5 through 6, we see, I shall dwell in his house forever. So let's read this incredible passage together right now. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That as we're scattered in our homes, yet sitting under the same Word, that You would speak to us individually and corporately, God, that we would be a church that You're leading in this time, that faces the uncertainties that we're experiencing, the fears that we have um, fearlessly, Lord, that we would have a deeper trust in You as a result. of of walking through this psalm together today. So would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, would you shape us in the people that you're wanting us to be here in this city for your glory's sake, in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing that we see in light of the fact that the Lord is my shepherd is that I shall not want in verses 1 through 3. That's what we're seeing here. This psalm is filled with beautiful poetry, but it's also one of the psalms that leaves many of us asking the question, If the Lord is my shepherd, why am I still wanting? If the Lord is my shepherd, why am I still wanting? Lord, you know that I need to provide for my family, and I lost my job, or I applied for that job and I didn't get it. Uh, Lord, I've asked for you to fix my relationship with this person. You know how much I love that person, and yet they're... There hasn't even been a phone call in return. Lord, Lord, you know how much I love my family. That's why I asked you to take away the cancer. Lord, you know that I need to be around people for my emotional health. Why in the world is this happening? Why could you not have prevented this? God, I'm confused. If you are my shepherd, why am I still in want? Let's ask this though what is David doing in this psalm? Is he in want? Maybe not. Maybe he's sitting on his throne being fed grapes. Who knows? But maybe he is. At minimum, he's fighting for this. At maximum, he's in a place of not being in want. Either way, look at what he's doing. He's preaching to himself. He's reminding himself about what is actually true in his life. He's battling wants, fears, uncertainty with truth. What's the truth? What's the truth that he's preaching to himself? It's that he isn't shepherding himself. He is not shepherding himself. He says, Yahweh, the Lord God, he is my shepherd. The the word shepherd David uses is the most comprehensive and intimate metaphor that you will ever encounter in the Psalms. And It's interesting because David could have rightfully um, attributed a name to God, a metaphor to God that would have been different. He could have said, the Lord is my king. The Lord is my deliverer or my rock or my shield, but he uses shepherd. He says, shepherd. God is pictured here living with his flock and providing for them all that they need. David preaches to himself that he isn't his own shepherd, but God is. I want to ask you, who is shepherding you right now in your life? Who's shepherding you? Is God shepherding you or are you shepherding you? Is something or someone else shepherding you? I mean, someone's someone is someone is guiding you, right? Someone's trying to provide for you and protect you. I I just want to imagine, even right now, you had to go to be on a backpacking trip through the Cascades, and you've never been backpacking before. And so your options were: you could go alone, you could go with me, or you can go with someone like Bear Grylls or something like that, right? Depending upon who is shepherding you through that adventure you're going to have very different emotional responses. You're going to have very different responses to whoever it is that's with you. And if you think you'd choose me, you're wrong, okay? You should not do that. The, The question creates different responses. And we're just talking about backpacking. But what about shepherding you through life? What about shepherding you through life? Guys, if you eliminate the shepherd from these verses, then yes, an emphatic yes, you are in want because you then need to figure out and try to piece together how you're going to get to places of provision, how you're going to find rest, how you're going to be restored, what paths you're actually going to end up going down in your life. Right? But notice here how God shepherds you. If He shepherds you, it's not through the cascades, but it's through life. Verse 2 says what? He shepherds you and He makes you lie down in green pastures. Right? He takes you out to to one of the beautiful fields, so to speak, of the Willamette Valley. This is the imagery here. He doesn't find a mound of bedrock and say to you, here you go, lay down. Right? The imagery here is, a, is, is an image of God providing you with food, like as sheep eat grass, right? But also providing you rest. He makes you lie down. Verse 2 also says to you that he leads you beside still waters. That sounds really peaceful, Right? I mean, here God's leading you beside still waters, not roaring rapids, but peaceful waters. And the imagery here is that God is leading you to places of refreshment. Verse 3 says, he restores your soul. And this, this use of the word soul isn't intended to imply simply that the shepherd is doing something to you spiritually. Although it definitely contains that, includes that, rather it's a word used to describe the whole person. So David, in other words, is saying maybe he's depleted or he's empty or broken or damaged. And here, God the Shepherd is not only providing rest and food, He's restoring Him in a holistic way. Verse 3 concludes by saying, He leads you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. This doesn't say that He leads you towards righteousness, but that He leads you in righteousness. The word righteousness is a word that connotes a straight path, a straight path. The word unrighteousness communicates a crooked path. So God leads you down straight paths, not crooked ones. Why does He do all this? It says, for His namesake. Man, what a fixed and firm foundation to depend upon, right? God will act. God will lead and shepherd for His namesake. He won't go against His character or His nature. His staking, He's staking His shepherding upon His own namesake. He's staking His shepherding of you upon his own reputation. See, you don't have to enjoy camping. You don't have to enjoy rural places to connect with the beautiful imagery here. The point is very clear. If you know God, then you are not without a shepherd this morning. You are not without a shepherd. You might perceive that you're in want, but when God is your shepherd, you shall not want. You are right where you need to be. You're right where you need to be. You might be longing for really good things this morning, but you aren't needing to figure out life on your own. You might feel like you're in want, but we must see that those desires we have, even if they are really good desires, are things that we can actually probably then go without for now and trust that God has something else for us that's more important or more needed even. Maybe there's something I don't want, that in all reality I should want. Or there's maybe something that I do want that in all reality I shouldn't want. Do You follow me? Is this truth a comfort to you this morning? Or is it just kind of nice to where you would say, the Lord is my shepherd, but, you know, do you add a but to this amazing truth? Do you say, The Lord is my shepherd, but fill in the blank? What about this thing? You know, you're filling it in with wants, that kind of thing. The Lord is my shepherd, but see, this psalm calls us to flip our thinking to say, You know, I have a lot of fear in my life right now, but the Lord is my shepherd. You know, I have a lot of financial struggles, but the Lord is my shepherd. You know, I cannot control my children. I'm lacking in patience, but the Lord is my shepherd. I have someone who I love who is sick, but the Lord is my shepherd." Corey Tenboom uh, was a woman who was um, sheltering Jews from the Nazis and in her native land of Holland with her sister Betsy, and they were both taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp where they suffered horribly. And Corey survived the war, but her sister Betsy died before the camp could be liberated. Um, and Corey lived to be 85 years old and often living in America where a lot of really good things happened in her life after that. And people would often go up to her after she endured that, that horrible time in her life and would say how good God was to provide for her in her life in the ways that he has kind of post that, that war. And she would respond by saying quote, God was good to me when I was in Ravensbrück, too. The concentration camp, God was good to me there, too. This was a woman who was in solitary confinement for four months in a dark, wet cell. I mean, we've been home for five weeks with Wi-Fi and it feels difficult. Yet she was in a place where she would be hearing screams of people being tortured for simply being Jewish or helping out Jewish people. She was terrified and cried out to God. And then at one vivid memory that she had, she saw an ant running into a wall to find shelter and she sensed that God was saying to her in that moment, I am your hiding place. I am your shelter. I am your shepherd. And she was famously quoted as saying, quote, the worst can happen but the best remains. The worst can happen, but the best remains. How can she say that? Because she knows the Lord is her shepherd, and she shall not want. Secondly, we shall not fear. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Notice the straight path that the shepherd led you down. Where did you go? Well, you went to the valley of the shadow of death. Wait a minute, Uh, why in the world did we just leave green pastures and still waters? I mean, what are we doing in a dark valley that's described as the shadow of death? Well, God isn't lost. He didn't take a wrong turn. The same Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness is the same Spirit that leads you and I into the valley of the shadow of death. But that valley isn't the destination, it's just a path to get to the destination. This valley of the shadow of death, it can be translated the valley of deep darkness. The, the imagery here is that you are in a place that seems to have the shadow of death hanging over it. It's not death, but it kind of feels like it in a way. I mean, we, we Just think about this imagery of a shadow, okay? A shadow is, is what? It's merely something that is experiencing the absence of light because there is something blocking the light. And that shadow then is not a real thing, it's just telling you there's something very real that is there. It's pointing to the substance of the real thing. The shadow isn't real, it's pointing you to the substance. So if it were a really sunny day in in Gresham and I saw you and I said hey and I walked up to you and let's just say I got down and I gave your shadow a big hug, right, let's just say I did that, Uh, you probably wouldn't hang out with me ever again Uh, maybe you'd call the doctor or maybe you'd think this whole physical distancing thing is really getting to me or something like that, right? Why? Because we know that the shadow isn't the substance. We don't hug shadows. We hug the substance, right? That's what we know. It's pointing to the real deal. See, this is important because we often find ourselves in the valleys of life and those valleys, they don't feel like the Willamette Valley. They feel like Death Valley, but they aren't death. They're shadows of death. Meaning what? That they're real places of pain and suffering and hardship. But they're being overshadowed by the real thing. What is David's response in the shadowy place? I will fear no evil. When I'm facing my fears, I will not experience fear. That's what he's saying. Let me, let me just ask you something before we go any further here. What is it in your life that you are most afraid of right now? What are you most afraid of right now? And secondly, what is it that you think you need to no longer be afraid? So if you were to fill in the blank, it's if I had blank, then I would no longer be afraid. That would eliminate my fear. How, do, how does David fill in that blank? Well, because he's a buff and tough guy, because he's a, a hothead, because he's delusional, because he's witty or smart, he, he'll figure it out. Is it because he's wealthy, he can buy his way out, or he's Nostradamus and he knows the future? Why? Why why can David say, with such bold and unabashed confidence, I will fear no evil when I'm in that place? What's his answer? Because you are with me. Because you are with me. Do you see? It's in the valley where God offers us the greatest gift, himself. There's nothing that you would want to have in that valley, but you have God, don't you? And he's all you need. He's all you need. Notice the pronoun changes from he to you here. The whole psalm has been he does this, he does this, he does this, and then he goes, you are with me. David gets intimate here. It's not he, it's you. See, when we go through places that feel like the shadow of death, places that would cause the rest of the world to say, well, obviously you should be afraid, in those places our intimacy with God grows. It's in the places of the valley where we gain the intimacy with God that we actually long for. God promises to be with us, but it's, it's not just that He's with you this morning and being with you. He's acting, isn't He? That's what it says. What is He doing? Well, He's armed. And what's He armed with that informs what He's doing? Well, He has a rod and a staff. That sounds pretty cool, right? What does that, what does that mean, though? Well, the rod was a tool that was used to protect sheep, to, to fight on behalf of the sheep. The staff was a tool to keep the sheep on the path and out of harm's way and to keep them with the rest of the sheep. So think about this. A lot of fear arises in our lives out of thinking that we've got to protect ourselves if we're going to make it anywhere in life. Or a lot of our fear arises out of wondering what our greatest enemies in life will do to us. A lot of our fear arises out of wondering what we should do with our future and where it is that we should actually be going. But God has his rod to protect you and fight for you. And He has His staff to keep you on the right path if you're headed into a place where He isn't desiring you to go into. Guys, fear is it. it's a powerful emotion. It's, it's a very powerful emotion. I mean, just think about it. Think about something like a spider or something like that. Maybe you're like, I'm not afraid of spiders. But um, just, just think right now, this morning, if, if, I, if somebody right before you watched this, uh, right before you hit play, said, oh my gosh, I just saw a black widow spider crawl underneath the cushion that you're, you're sitting in, okay? What are you probably gonna do in response to that moment? Well, well, you're probably not gonna go, oh, who really cares? Right, you're probably gonna stand up, you're gonna look around, you're gonna, you know, search for this thing, especially if you don't find it, what are you gonna do? Well, you're probably gonna, if you sit back down, you're gonna feel like you're itchy a lot, you're gonna feel like something's crawling on you, or or maybe you won't stop searching, I don't know, maybe you're gonna leave the room, maybe you're gonna burn the couch. I have no idea what it is that you're gonna do. I don't know how fearful you are of spiders. But we do know in that simple act alone that we all often experience that fear is powerful. But the greatest enemy to fear is whatever is more powerful than that fear. As the shepherd has already defeated your greatest enemies, the things that you fear, so that now it's only a shadow and your fear is never an ultimate thing. So if you think God is distant or that you are doing life on your own strength in an isolated effort, then fear is the most natural emotion for you and I to experience in life. If If I feel like I'm walking through that valley alone. But do you see that? If you see that God is your shepherd and He is not distant, but He's with you in the dark valley, you are not doing life on your own strength and effort, then not being afraid is not just mental gymnastics, you guys. The absence of fear becomes normal. Well, what's the primary solution to your fear? It's not merely being, merely provision in times of want. It's not merely getting through the valley so that you won't have to fear that thing anymore. The solution to your fear is realizing that you're not alone, that God is with you and He's acting. I think one of the most fearful times that I've ever been in my life was when um, back in 2011 there was many different people encouraging me to to step out in faith, and with a team, uh, plant a church in Corvallis, and I just didn't want to do it. it. terrified me. I uh, didn't want to plant that church, still don't want to plant a church, you know, just it's terrifying. And so, um, but I was praying and, and fasting and processing this for months, and I remember going up to Crown Point one day, saying, God, I need, to, I need to know if this is really what you want me to do. And I was reading a psalm, and the psalm continually said, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And God revealed to me in that moment so clearly that the only reason why I didn't want to step out in faith and and plant this church was because I was afraid. That was it. And it seemed silly in the moment when I realized it because God was saying to me, I'm with you. And by God's grace and because He was with us, there's now a church that exists in Corvallis. It's it's amazing. That's touched many people's lives. And that path brought me here to even be with you. And to think that fear almost held me back from that is is ludicrous I'm just curious what is your fear keeping you from during a time like this could you attribute anything to that the Lord is my shepherd I shall not fear finally we see the Lord is my shepherd and I shall dwell verse 5 says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." David has been not only led out of darkness but he's been led into victory, you guys. The image here is that his enemies are captured, spiders contained, right? The language here shifts from God being considered as a shepherd and we as sheep from to now God is a hospitable host and we're human beings in a home, eating dinner, this sounds great. And what's he doing? What's he doing? He's preparing a meal. Where is he preparing that meal for you? He says, in the presence of my enemies. Enemies might seem like a pretty intense word for us. We usually only seem to use that word when we're talking about maybe our favorite team's rival team or something or maybe a nation that we're at war with or that opposes us or something. But just consider that an enemy is anyone or anything in life that's looking out for your destruction, something or someone that's opposed to your flourishing. So your enemy this morning, it may be a person. It may be an entity or it might be a nation. But it most certainly is sin. It most certainly is Satan. And it most certainly is is death. The image here is that God is preparing a feast for you While the things you feared that you tried, that that tried to bring you down, they're not watching on at your downfall, but they're watching in their downfall as you savor and feast on a wonderful meal. Here God is anointing your head with oil, which in ancient culture, you'd be anointed with a mixture of olive oil and perfume before you entered a banquet hall, right? All the overflowing imagery is meant to show that God is giving you his very best, And it's definitely more than enough. But this is better than a feast. guys. in the Old Testament world, to eat and drink at someone's table, it meant a bond was being created of loyalty. It meant more than nourishment. It meant friendship. That's what it means. But more than just a meal, there's a present reality to all this. What does it say? Goodness and mercy will follow me. It will pursue me. It'll hunt me down all the days of my life. So fear and failure and misery are not following me. Goodness and love, that's the word has said, the steadfast love, that mercy will, will follow me. Where, where is David at in these verses? Where is he? He's in the house of the Lord, isn't he? For how long? Is he staying for the night? Is he staying for the weekend? He, he's staying forever, right? That's amazing. How, how long are you invited to the presence of God as a guest? Well, here, to be God's guest, to be more than an acquaintance, as if you're just here for the day, the invitation here, guys, is that God has led you to a place where you live with Him forever. And that takes some generosity, doesn't it? It takes some hospitality to just host people for dinner for a night or even a weekend. But to invite someone to come and live with you, that's, that's some extravagant generosity because you're going to know that person in a whole different kind of way, they're not just going to be merely a friend anymore. They're going to probably feel like family to you. And that's exactly what you're meant to see here. Where is God shepherding you to right now in your very real life, according to Psalm 23? He is shepherding you towards a destination. Do you see it? It's into a never-ending, intimate relationship with Himself, and you shall dwell in His house forever. As there are a lot of houses that I would love to be in right now. I'm sure you can relate. There's a lot of people that I'm longing to spend time with. We've even had family return from being overseas and it's, it's painful to not spend time with them in a house and share meals with them and, and hug them, right? I mean, there's a lot of meals I'd like to share with people right now. There's a lot of hugs I'd like to give. But what about my longing to be in this house, in God's house? I mean, do you hear this and go, this is nice, but I cannot wait to be in my grandkids' house. I cannot wait to be in my daughter's house. I can't wait to go spend time at my friend's house. Right? This is the cherry on top, but being with those people, that's like the dessert, you know? Do you long to be in this house? Do you long to have a stay-at-home order in God's place? Is that the house that you cannot wait to be in? This is where you're headed, with God as your shepherd. You're headed towards the day where there will be no more fear, that all evil, all pain, all suffering, all loss will be eliminated and conquered, and you one day will eat at this table here in Psalm 23. How will you get there? How will you know that you will be here? Well, the reason that you'll eat at this table in Psalm 23 is because the table of communion that you and I are really sorely missing out on right now We'll eat at this table because that table exists. It's because of Jesus and his incredible declaration as to who he is in John chapter 10. What did he say? He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Guys, Jesus plays many roles in the kingdom of God, but he should win an Oscar for this kind of performance. All right? What does this even mean that he is a good shepherd for us? Well, this image of a shepherd is extremely prominent throughout the Bible, and seeing the image played out through the Bible really creates a richness of his claim in John chapter 10. I think it's worth just looking at just briefly. So just start here, just think, the first shepherd that the Bible ever reveals is Abel. Abel's a shepherd. In Genesis 4-2, Abel takes care of sheep. He offers pleasing sacrifices to God, but then he is murdered by his brother. Just think about that. The first shepherd ever in the Bible was murdered. Then from Abraham to Moses, we see all the patriarchs. What are they doing? They're shepherds, aren't they? Abraham takes care of sheep. The person who God is going to work through in the world seems to be shepherds. Shepherds take care of sheep. This is what you always see until you get to the end of Genesis. Then what happens? You see this declaration of Jacob in Genesis 48:15. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, The God who has been my shepherd all my life. For the first time in the Bible, Jacob says God is like a shepherd. He is a shepherd. This is the first metaphorical use of shepherd in the entire Bible. And now the majority of references throughout the Bible, when it comes to the idea of shepherding, they're going to be a reference to taking care of people, not literal sheep. But then you see Moses takes care of sheep. This is what he's doing when God calls him. Then we see in the Mosaic Covenant that God gives people shepherds because people without a shepherd are in really desperate places of need. Then we go to David, who is a shepherd king, the one who writes this psalm. He's the youngest of all his brothers. He's out in the field shepherding when he's called in to become king. We see this God is described as described to as shepherd in Psalm 23, which further plays itself out in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. This declaration that God will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God is a shepherd, but he delegates his care for his people to under shepherds. And when you see them in the Old Testament, almost all of them seem to abuse their responsibility. And those that are shepherding God's people who abuse that responsibility, they are severely judged. And all along the way, each shepherd ends up doing a really bad job. So Ezekiel 34 says what? And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Who's this David person going to be? David's dead, right? Well, Jesus is clear here. This this background leading into John 10 brings so much gravity to the statement that I am the good shepherd. What does this good shepherd do? Does he use his position for gain? Does he abuse it? No, he does what? He lays down his life for sheep. He doesn't have his life taken from him like Abel. He lays it down. This makes no sense. A shepherd is way more significant than sheep. Why would a shepherd die for sheep? Because he's the good shepherd. He's defining what a good shepherd is. He is perplexingly good for a shepherd. He lays down His life for the sheep, and He never stops shepherding you. Because where does the Bible end? Revelation 7:17 7, says, For the Lamb, referring to Jesus, in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus, the slaughtered Lamb, is the shepherd. Jesus was the sheep who never strayed from the righteous path in life. But when Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he experienced real death and not just the shadow of it. Guys, God the Father didn't lead him to green pastures or quiet waters. He led him up Calvary, not to a restful place, but a restless place. Why? It's so that he could defeat your greatest enemy, so that every valley that you walk through you'll know is only a shadow. Even if death itself comes, it's not ultimate. Because Jesus didn't experience the shadow of death, but death itself, you guys, by placing your faith in Him, you can be certain. You can be certain that you will dwell in the house of God forever. And know that right now, right now, God is with you and shepherding you towards the full reality of of that day you are not alone and if you're not alone this means that you need not fear jesus the good shepherd loves you through and through and without end elizabeth elliot says love is always inextricably bound with sacrifice oh man do we know love when the shepherd lays his life down for us if the shepherd has laid down his life for you and won't lose you but will always care for you Will always protect you and watch over you. Then can't we trust him through anything that he's leading us through? Did you see how the gospel affects your approach to the way you face uncertainty in life? You're not figuring this thing out; he's leading you. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall dwell. And by telling you this, um, there's a there's a pastor named Dr. Robert Smith. He's over at Beeson Divinity School, I think. And um, he teaches a preaching course, and he told a story about a conversation he had with a shuttle driver on the way to the airport. This ride took place just months after Dr. Smith's youngest son, Antonio Smith, had been murdered in a robbery at a restaurant. His son was only 34 years old, and as Robert Smith articulated, he says, he beat me to the grave. It was a tremendous place of grief. I can't even fathom. So he was completely unfamiliar with this airport that he's being driven to by the shuttle driver. And he's asking him all these questions. Where's the gates for this? Where's the bathrooms? You know, where do you get the best coffee? You know, like the important questions about airports. And this driver knew the answer quickly to everything. He knew the answer to everything. And so Dr. Smith says, oh, I'm just curious. What's your favorite airline to fly? And the shuttle driver says, oh, I've never even flown before. I've never flown before. He goes, you've never flown? How do you know so much about the airport? The driver said, well, I've studied the airport so that I can answer the questions, but I've never been to the airport before. And Dr. Smith, as he's telling this story, he was talking about Psalm 23 in light of it, and he confessed, I've studied Psalm 23, but since my son's death, I've found myself in Psalm 23. He says, my heart was no longer this safe distance from the words as I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, it was no longer safe in the distance of you are with me. He was in this psalm, he wasn't just a student of it. I don't know about you guys, but you might be finding yourself in Psalm 23 like never before. Like never before. When we do life with Psalm 23 in our hands, holding it before the eyes of our heart, we eventually realize that we aren't just studying Psalm 23, we are in Psalm 23. Our fears are always based on what-ifs in life. And Psalm 23 is guiding us to place our lives into the reality of what is. If you rest in the what-is of Psalm 23, that will stomp out the what-ifs that you and I are facing in our lives that are maybe paralyzing you. This is one of the most missional things I think that you and I can actually offer our city. If we have no need to be afraid, if we are fearless because we know that I'm not shepherding myself, the eternal Son of God who's laid his life down for me is shepherding me, that I have no need to be afraid. I don't need to know the destination. What would that say to a watching world, to a watching city that is engulfed with fear? Guys, I pray that we see ourselves in Psalm 23 this morning and that we see that God isn't just getting us through this difficult season. He's showing us that He is with us. This is a moment where we experience intimacy with Him. We go from He is my shepherd to you are my shepherd. Guys, that He is with us. He's leading us. And we now know more than usual maybe in our lives. We know that He is enough. Let's pray. Father God, God, thank you so much for your word, and I pray that it would um, really be illuminated in such a way in our lives today that that these things that we're discussing, that we're talking about, that we're being confronted with, that they would become realities that we would really know in our hearts and experience with our lives. God, we're so thankful that we're not shepherding ourselves through this life, but you are, God, and you're leading us to a place where we will be with you forever. And I pray, God. That we would trust you along the way. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. I want to read to you this final benediction. Um, It says Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Guys, may we be people this week that keep our eyes fixed on the great shepherd of the sheep who's laid His life down for us. May we trust Him because He knows where He's leading us. And that place is better than any other place we could end up.